0: Our text for the sermon uh, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, so please flip backwards and join me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have proved myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, saying, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are your sons here? Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said arise anoint him for this is he then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah this is the word of the Lord Praise Praise to God. God. So in today's passage we are going to explore a different perspective right it's a, a different way of thinking right a, a different point of view if you will As imperfect humans, we we tend to walk through life with blinders on sometimes, right? A lot like those horses that pull uh, the carriages around the galleria. Have you guys seen those? Um, You know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle uh, around the galleria, and there's, there's cars honking and music playing and people shouting, right? And the carriages... Uh, the carriage drivers want to lead their customers on a real smooth, real calm, slow journey throughout the streets and around the beautiful water walls so that they you know, can take their pictures and just have a beautiful, romantic evening. And the last thing they want is for the horses to get distracted right? and, and, and wander into traffic or possibly get spooked and run. Right? Those big blinders that they put next to those horses' eyes uh, force them to see only what is right directly in front of them. I would argue that sometimes we have a tendency to meander through life with blinders on, right? Sometimes we only focus on those things that are right in front of us, and we completely fail to see the bigger picture, right? Sometimes uh, I might argue that focus can also be a good thing, right? I'm one of those guys that tends to get distracted very easily, right? Yesterday I was working on this really old truck, and I told myself, I'm just going to change the oil. It's just going to be a quick, like, 30 minutes, and I'm going to get on to the rest of my day, well, eight hours later, I had sweated through four shirts, uh, and, and uh, man, I had successfully drained every fluid in the car and taken off h- half the engine bay. Um, it's a very long story, but, but I had more that I needed to be doing yesterday than just working on a ridiculously old truck, right? Blinders would have been very helpful yesterday. But when it comes to sitting down and studying God's Word, I would propose that we should take those blinders off. Right, we should be open to what the text is telling us, making sure to orient ourselves properly in the passage. Right? Maybe, maybe that might mean reading uh, a paragraph or two or a page or two before our text or maybe even a little bit after to understand what is going on. Or maybe it means opening up another book entirely and studying, reading a commentary, finding out uh, you know, maybe the history or the setting or the language, you know, the language being used. Right? These type of distractions can open our hearts and minds to what the Lord is trying to convey to us when we read his word. So as we open God's word this afternoon, our goal is to remove those blinders, right? And I want to paint a big picture of a complete and a very compelling story. This afternoon, it is my prayer that we will get just a little glimpse of what the good Lord sees, right? I want us to be a people that sees that people that sees what he sees. So this afternoon, we're going to explore three biblical truths that are found in 1 Samuel 16. First, we're going to find that the Lord sees the way. Right? He knows our grief, and he has a plan to save us. Secondly, we're going to discover that the Lord sees the heart. Right? As humans, we're inclined to look at someone's outward appearance, um, but God sees according to his own heart. Third, and finally, we'll realize that the Lord sees the king. He has prepared a very unconventional, from a very unconventional, unassuming town, a victorious savior, right, for his people. And that, that is good news. The Lord sees the way, he sees the heart, and the Lord sees the king. Before we helicopter into our passage this morning, I want to help peel back the blinders a little bit and provide you with a little bit of context into our story this morning, right? So Saul is the current king of Israel and he's decided, I'm just kind of done obeying the will of the Lord, right? He's, he's kind of just forgotten. He's gotten distracted. Um, and if we look back to chapter 15, we read that Saul turned his back following from following the Lord and has not performed the Lord's commands. This was greatly upsetting for Samuel. And, and if we read on, we see that Samuel... Samuel became angry. He was upset. And he cried to the Lord all night long. I don't know whether he was upset at himself for anointing a failed king. Just kind of disappointed that, man, did I choose the wrong guy? Did God choose? Like, what's going on? right? Or, or maybe he's a, he was upset at Saul for failing to obey the Lord's commands. Or maybe he was just kind of angry at God for putting him in a really hard, difficult spot. Either way, Samuel had to bear the Lord's Uh, the Lord's response to Saul's actions. Right? So Samuel went to Saul and he told him that uh, the Lord is going to tear the kingdom from Israel this day. He's going to take it from your hands and he's going to give it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's a terrifying message to deliver to a king. Right? It's absolutely terrifying, especially a king that has turned his back from the Lord. But Saul received the message, and he bowed down before the Lord in prayer. Samuel left, and he was crushed. Right? And the Bible says that he grieved deeply over the situation. It broke his heart. What breaks your heart like that? What crushes your soul? What causes you to run at full speed right, into the arms of the Savior? What is it that makes us distraught? Right, are, we other, are we angered sometimes when others fail to uh, fail to follow the Lord's commands? Right, are we distraught over the lack of God-fearing leadership for his people? That gets some of us. Or are we so wrapped up in our own busyness, uh, our, our own doing everything that we can just to do the next thing in front of us, that, that grieving, uh, grieving to the Lord is solely just a me thing? Right? It's consumed uh, with self, right, and just things that uh, affect us personally. But before we go down that rabbit hole, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 16. And that introduces us to our first point in today's sermon. The Lord sees the way. Look with me at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? This statement, uh, this statement to Samuel shows that God sees his grief. Right, we're told in Scripture that there is a time to weep, that there is a time to laugh, and there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Right, and as we enter into our passage, we understand that Samuel is distraught, he's upset, and I love God's question to Samuel: How long will you grieve over Saul? He doesn't ask why he's grieving. Right, He's the Lord of this universe. He knows the answer to that question. He sees what's going on. He understands what is at stake here. But better yet, the Lord sees the way. And he provides a solution. He knows what Samuel needs to get over this grieving. He needs to take a step forward. Saul sees God sees Samuel's grieving. And so he moves forward with one simple command. Fill your horn with oil and go. Right? It's really that simple right wouldn't it be that awesome if all of our problems were solved with such a simple command right god just tells us to do something simple like go fill your horn with oil and just go right our nation's falling apart our leaders are corrupt and people are worshiping absolutely anything and everything other than the creator of this universe what's going on here sound familiar and god tells samuel to go go fill your horn with oil and go go anoint yet another king Right, I shouldn't impose uh, my own thoughts on, on the text here, but I can't help but think what exactly is going through Saul's mind here. Right, He is clearly distraught, and he's a bit uh, confused. Right? Fill up my horn with oil again? I, I just did that. I just did that, Lord. Right, I've already anointed Saul as king, and now you're telling me that I need to dig up my horn from the back of my closet in this little shoebox in the corner, fill it up with oil again, and go? What? seems like a terrible idea that's what god says that's what god says in verse one i will send you to jesse the bethlehemite for i have provided for myself a king among his sons the lord sees the way he sees the way as he exclaims i have provided for myself a king among his sons the verb in this verse can be more accurately translated as to see Right, I provided. I I see for myself a king. This verb is to see is repeated seven or eight more times in the text. Right, it's not always translated that way, and at least in my version in the ESV. Um, but this chapter, this passage is about seeing. Right, and we can see a theme beginning to develop. This passage is all about seeing, and, and who sees what. Right? And we will find that God sees. God sees not as man sees. And we will see that here today. So what is, exactly does God see here in verse 1? He gives Samuel a simple command to fill his horn with oil and go. And go to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this tiny, tiny place in the absolute middle of nowhere, right? It's this extremely unlikely place to find a king. It's about 11 miles from from a town where Samuel resides in Ramah, right? And I'd like to note that Samuel, I mean, he can't quite see the bigger picture that that we get today, right? We can take a step back and and look at Scripture and see it in its entirety. But Bethlehem, does that that ring a bell? Bethlehem is where we learn that Ruth met Boaz, right? And, And the Jesse that Samuel is to meet is Ruth and Boaz's grandson. That makes the one that we are looking for is Ruth's great-grandson. Samuel had no idea. He didn't understand this. And if we were to look ahead into Scripture, right, and fast forward about a thousand years, we would see that this little town of Bethlehem, in the absolute middle of nowhere, God's going to unfold this next chapter, right, this next chapter in his great and sovereign plan. Samuel can't really see that far into the future either. But God sees Samuel, all he has to do is just take one next step. He just has to obey that command. One step at a time. Does that sound familiar? Does God always give you this complete picture of, of, of what you're going through and what it's going to be and why you're doing this? No, he just asks you to go. Fill your horn with oil and just go. Samuel's obedience to this command in verse 1 is vital in God's larger plan of salvation. It has huge implications. The Lord sees the way. He sees our grief. And he provides a solution. And he, and he doesn't just stop there, but he also guides our path. Samuel is really reluctant to obey the Lord's command. Right? Look with me at verse 2. How on earth am I to go? If Saul hears of this, he's gonna surely he's going to kill me. Right? Saul's heart has turned away from the Lord, uh, but he is still king. If Saul gets word of Samuel's mission to go anoint this new king, surely, surely he will kill me proclaims Samuel to God Isn't a good idea God But the Lord God's the Lord guides our path He's got a plan And so he says to Samuel All right take take a heifer with you and say I have come to sacrifice to the Lord And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you The Lord gives Samuel a second mission to disguise himself Uh, to disguise the anointing of this new king this mission right if samuel were to fill his horn and walk from town to town and just you know i've got this cow and here i am i'm going to meet a new king i'm going to anoint a new king that's that's the end of him that's the end of him but if samuel was was walking and just taking this heifer to make this sacrifice in bethlehem that wouldn't really raise any red flags with saul because that's that's his duty that's samuel's duty That's just kind of a normal thing for him to be doing. That wouldn't really raise any red flags. Samuel grew confident in the Lord's plan. And he did what the Lord had commanded. And he did this and came to Bethlehem. And when he got to Bethlehem, the, the, the elders of the city run out to him. And they're trembling. They're absolutely shaking. Do you come in peace? Do you come in peace? You see, word travels fast. Because right before our passage this morning, uh, Mark alluded to it in this sermon. Uh, he acts Agag to pieces. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> this guy was uh, you know, clearly someone that they were absolutely terrified of. What is he doing? Is he judging? Is he, what, what, what does he come here to do? Right? Samuel's recent violent execution of Agag, he was the king of the Amalekites. And Samuel said, no, no, it's okay, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, because the Lord sees the way. As we reach verse 6, we begin to more fully understand our first point, that the Lord sees this way. Not just any old way, but the way that he lovingly guides our path forward. And now we'll begin to explore... Our second point taken from the passage, and that's that the Lord sees the heart. Look with me at verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And as soon as Eliab walked into the room, whoa, right? Samuel looks up. Immediately he is reminded of Saul. He's reminded of King Saul, and it was this glorious monster of a man. who has got muscles, he's a warrior, he's everything you'd think of, and a king. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. He was tall and dark and probably handsome, and and he was a force to be reckoned with in every sense of the word. Of course this son of Jesse would be the next king God would choose for his people. But not so fast. Let us continue in verse 8. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God has a point of view. And man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God has a point of view, and and his point of view is completely different than the human point of view. Right. If we take the text here uh, and, and, and translate it, it tells us that God is not limited. God is not limited in his view as humans are. He is not deceived by outward appearances. God sees a person's heart. That, of course, is true. However, however verse 7 is almost certainly saying this, saying more than this. The Australian theologian John Woodhouse translate that last sentence of verse 7 in a very much more literal sense. He proposes that it should read this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man sees according to the eyes. But the Lord sees according to the heart. Woodhouse offers a different point of view. One that is not man-centric. But one that is absolutely God-centric. That is when when God sees. He does not just see the things uh, with his eyes as we do. Taking on you know, visible impressions. God sees according to his heart according to his intentions and according to his will and his purpose his heart woodhouse is so confident in this understanding of verse 7 that he says in his opinion the key to understanding the whole of first and second samuel and more than that it is really likely the key to understanding life the universe everything a man after god's own heart has been taken in popular Christian language to mean this you know particularly godly man, right a man with a heart like God's, right like we think of David, but i don 't believe that word, these words only mean that a man after god's heart means a man of god 's own choosing, a man God has set on hit that God has set his heart on a man after god's own heart is if I can put it like this talking about the place that a man has in God's heart rather than the place that God has in the man's heart. This doctrine of election is consistent with our passage uh, this afternoon. If we return to verse 1, we read uh, that God proclaims, For I have seen myself a king. Saul was the strong warrior king of his, that his people wanted. right? But here in 1 Samuel 16, we have God choosing for himself a king one that is really different than mankind might expect. And our story continues. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. None of these sons of Jesse... Were the ones that the Lord had seen. We are being pre- presented a completely different perspective here. One that says God's electing love is grounded in himself, not in us and what we think, but in him, in his will. The Lord sees not as man sees, but the Lord sees according to his own heart. So, so far in our passage this afternoon, we've seen that the Lord sees the way. Right, We often don't understand this entire broad plan, but he faithfully provides us and just sometimes asks us to take one step at a time. Just as he did for Samuel on this journey to anoint this new king. Secondly, we see that the Lord sees the heart. Yes, he sees through our diverse exteriors and into the hearts of man, but he also sees from this different point of view. The Lord sees according to his heart. His heart, His will, His plan. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that, uh, you know, in Him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The Lord sees according to His heart. We're going to take this concept of the sovereignty of God one step further in our third and final point today. The Lord sees the King. Look with me at verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Here we will see that the Lord sees the king. Not just any king, but the Lord sees a shepherd king. You see? Jesse has paraded his, oh, his seven oldest sons in, in front of Samuel, but the Lord's chosen was not, not them. So Samuel asks, are all your sons here? And Jesse replies, there's, there's one. He's keeping the sheep. He's off in the fields, right? He's off in the fields watching over a bunch of stinky, really dirty, kind of gross animals that are prone to wander. There remained but one son. One so unimportant, one so unassuming that he was left to take care of the sheep in the field. Right? While the older and the taller, the better looking, maybe the, maybe what we would think is the better kings were paraded in front of Samuel. The last son of Jesse was fulfilling his duty with those stinky sheep. As such, it was his job to, to guide, to lead, to protect, and to care for those animals. And he would do so for his subjects when he became king, right? Knowing, what, knowing that the Lord sees, not as man sees, the author David Payne says this, It should not be a surprise that every, even a humble and ordin, ordinary occupation may be the most appropriate place of training for a man or woman, destined to achieve great things as a christian leader i would also like to point out that um, the bible often uses this flock of sheep to be an image or a representation of israel or god's people or the church right this repeated literary devices is, is not to be overlooked and it's something that absolutely enriches our understanding of god's economy right our understanding of god's chosen will the lord sees a shepherd king It's a big deal. The last son of Jesse was not to be overlooked by Samuel. Send and get him at once. We will not continue until he comes here. Verse 12 says this, He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Interesting. David was not the oldest or maybe the most important of all of his brothers, but we do see that he had a few redeeming qualities about him. He was ruddy, which means that he had this great complexion, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And his height and his stature wasn't mentioned here, but we do know that David was a pretty good-looking guy. And the Lord said to Samuel in verse 12, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. The Lord sees a king. This son of Jesse, this, this keeper of sheep, is God's chosen king. Right, so David now joins the rank uh, along with Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses uh, as not the firstborn, but nonetheless selected by God over their more powerful brothers. David is a king from an unassuming family who lives in a really unassuming town, who has an unassuming career. David is chosen by God to lead his people. Verse 13 concludes with this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Right? I can, I, I can see it now. Uh, his brothers are just standing there and they've been rejected and, and overlooked for the youngest. Right? The youngest brother. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David that day forward. And then Samuel rose up and he went to Shema, went to Ramah. The Lord anointed a king. The scripture says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I find it interesting that uh, the, the spirit of the Lord did not slowly flow down this man's face like the oil. When you know, right, when Samuel anointed him with oil on the top of the head, and it just kind of slowly comes down. But the spirit of the Lord rushed in; it rushed upon David from that day forward. It rushed with a sense of urgency. Right, this brings a bit of excitement and a sense of certainty that the Lord sees. The king. Do you see the king? The Lord most certainly sees a king in David. The chosen shepherd of his people. But this merely foreshadows an even greater king. A greater chosen king to come. Right? You and I have this luxury to fast forward through in our Bibles and flip a few pages uh, to the prophet Micah. right? And Micah proclaim, proclaims this. You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you're unimportant, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel. Right? So the Lord sees King David, but he also sees this greater shepherd king who is to come from this town of Bethlehem. Right? One thousand years after the anointing of David in this very unassuming town of Bethlehem, a very unassuming baby would be born in a very unassuming location and be anointed as king of the kings and lord of lords a king who will herald the good news herald the good news and that's what god has promised to the fathers and that is what has been fulfilled to us his children That is good news, that God has chosen for us an even greater king, one that, uh, one that will not disappoint, one that loves us no matter what, one that uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice of death on the cross for our sins and our imperfections. That is the king that we should be seeing. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13 provide for us a really unique insight into the character of God. Right, we see that the Lord sees the way. Right, The Lord sees according to his heart. And finally, the Lord sees the king. He sees King David. But he sees even further into the future and sees King Jesus, who will rule over his people now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for today's reminder of your righteousness. All to offer, we wander through life, sometimes with blinders on, sometimes with blinders off. But we're struggling. We struggle to make it happen. We are struggling to fix things that are broken. We struggle to follow your will and your way. Thank you, Lord, for removing this burden from us with your Son, the King of Kings. Father, may we find rest. May we find peace in the finished and complete work of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May you grant us peace and mercy this week as we rest in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.